This is the Lotox Life Podcast. Hey, it's Alex here, founder of the Lotox Life and the Go Lotox eCourse. I want to ask you a question. Do you feel confident in all your consumer choices at the moment, navigating labels, prioritizing what to swap out, how not to blow the budget, how long it takes to research things online before you can just make a decision? how to dispose thoughtfully of certain items, weighing up the shades of impact of various choices, and speaking confidently to friends and family about your desire to live a life more in tune with nature for both your health and the planet without garnering a ton of eyeballs and backhanded remarks like, you probably won't approve of this, but, and all the things we get for our uh, well-meaning choices. It's a long question, yes, but it's a really important one because on March the 2nd, we have our 15th round of Golo Talks. It is the longest running e-course to help people reduce their environmental toxin impact. I have 40 incredible expert interviews ranging from scientists, environmental scientists, doctors, building biologists, uh, and more. And uh, it is just the most fantastic way for you to join me and the incredible community that will be going along this journey with you to bust all of the day-to-day environmental toxins that you come into contact with. Now, you know my vibe. It's a low-tox, not no-tox. We're not trying for perfection because you'll walk past a car and then think, oh, I've blown it, you know, the exhaust or whatever. We cannot be perfect, but we can do better each day. And really what I love to do is help you navigate the world of making better choices across every aspect of day-to-day life together and in our private Facebook group while disseminating the information throughout the course so that you feel like at the end you can make a great decision on your own no matter where you are in the world knowing that you're not just going to trust face value marketing messages, know how to dig deeper, know what questions to ask, and know how to keep yours and your family's safety a priority. So join me on March 2nd. I can't wait to start this next round, our first round of 2020, fresh decade, fresh goals. I'll see you there. You've got all the details on how to join in the show notes today, or you can head over to lowtoxlife.com Click on the courses tab and you'll see GoLotox there that you can jump on and register. We have a basic level as well as a lifetime access level and we have a payment plan thanks to our friends from OpenPay. So there's plenty of ways to join and I can't wait to see you there. Now, enjoy today's show. If all the birds could fly right now As high as me somehow They could see all the things I've been dreaming of These wings of mine flutter inside They shimmy and they glide Breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light Today is show 174. I have the wonderful Professor Stuart Palmer joining me from Australian Ethical Super. Uh, For our overseas listeners who don't know the word super, it's superannuation. So it's our uh, compulsory retirement fund structure that we have in Australia. The Americans will understand it to be a 401k. uh, And for anyone else, it's just retirement funds. And why I've invited uh, uh, Stuart onto the show 
is that he is a professor of ethics. He has worked as a banker and a lawyer and he is head of ethics research at Australian Ethical Super. And what's excellent about that is he literally spends his entire week evaluating the impact which companies' products, services and operations have on people, animals and the environment and therefore creating the direction in which uh, they take their funding as a uh, superannuation fund. So, you know, we we make all of these little changes in our day-to-day and it's so, so great, so important because most of the time you have that wonderful direct health benefit of reducing your environmental toxin load. But then we often look around at the world and we think, oh, why isn't anything I'm doing making the change that I want to see out there? And with our money, we really can do that. Uh, We really can start to fund the kind of world we want where we don't have cruel practices such as factory farming and animal export, where we don't have uh, new mines being opened up for thermal coal, Uh, where we don't have fracking and uh, gas extraction happening in Indigenous lands, uh, and on and on and on you could go. So really looking under the hood at where your money currently sits and how you might better contribute to uh, a a sound, healthy future for our kids and our planet overall. Is, um, is a really powerful thing to do. And please don't feel guilty if you had no idea where your superannuational 401k was sitting before. You know, just like anything in the low-tox life, it's not about what you didn't know before. It's about what you do once you do know and making those little changes step by step. Uh, and boy, is changing that retirement fund or any savings you keep in a bank, for example, a huge, huge step that we can all make together. Imagine that as a collective, 40,000 people a month listen to this show, a little bit more now, and uh, and that's a heck of a lot of savings that could be uh, shaping a better world for tomorrow. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Stuart today. Uh, we do still have, for one more week, the offer from Killer Pillar. That's spelled K-I-L-L-A-P-I-L-L-A. It's kind of an endearing take on a, a killer pillow. Uh, and boy, is this pillow fantastic. It's designed by Carolina and Todd, a husband and wife team. Todd, the chiropractor in the outfit, who has created a pillow that makes our spine exactly as it should be when we sleep, whether we sleep on our side or on our backs. And uh, you have these little inserts that you can either take out or add in to give you extra support if you have a more accentuated curve in your neck. Uh, And it's really cool. It dips where your head goes completely. So your head is virtually sleeping on the mattress. Then you have this incredibly supportive frame that's supporting your neck if you're a back sleeper and the sides of your neck. And then you roll over onto the side and it's this gorgeous, cushy, plush, organic Australian wool filled uh, pillow for the side sleepers. So it's a unique design. You should absolutely go onto their website and check it out if what I'm saying is not quite making sense, which is fair enough. Uh, They also have a tween size now for eight to 12 year olds. So your code is 15% off uh, all purchases on their website, free shipping Australia wide and low tox 15 is your code. 
if uh, you don't want to just give it a quick lazy Google or Ecosia as the case may be so that you can plant trees with your online searching, a little plug to them, then head to the show notes on the Low Tox Life website, hit the podcast tab and click on today's show to grab all the details. I want to say a special shout out to our low-tox clubbers. I am loving the conversations that have started off again this year. Uh, If you join the low-tox club via Patreon, it's only $4 a month US, uh, which I call it the price of a fancy coffee a month. And you get 20% off all of our e-courses all year round, uh, a practitioner thread to workshop any health issues you might be having with our wonderful naturopath Steph on Tuesdays, Uh, great discussions, my monthly live Q&A in there and uh, and just a like-minded community, beautiful, gentle people from all around the world. So shout out to the clubbers. And if you'd like to join us there, Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, is the website that hosts our um, club. And then once you've joined, you um, get the link to join the Facebook group. I'll see you there and enjoy today's show. Hello, Stuart. How are you? Yeah. Hi, Alex. Very well, thanks. That's good. Um, I, one of the first things I notice when I'm interviewing a steward is how they spell their name. Thank you for spelling it correctly, as my surname is. Um, <laughs> the French-Scottish way. Um, I am absolutely thrilled to have you here uh, talking about uh, ethics, ethical investment, um, because nothing is black and white and there are always different ways that we can look at things. Uh, and uh, given you have done so much study and then practical work in the space of ethical investment, uh, I'm sure you'll be a wonderful guide today. I would love to first ask you, though, given you did your uh, doctoral research in philosophy, um, at what point did your passion for philosophy and numbers intersect? Yeah, I mean, probably early on, and on the numbers side, it's... it's think about it more broadly than numbers beyond numbers I've always thought that logic and uh, and science um, are key to solving problems and obviously maths and numbers uh, are a crucial part of a part of that um, and then alongside that sort of role for logic and science uh, I think I was attracted to philosophy at, at school and then at university as a way to understand what's what's important in life um, uh, yeah actually both to understand yeah just understand the way the world is, but then, you know, what's important uh, uh, in life, which might guide you to think about how the, the world could be a better place. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, taking together philosophy, logic, science, numbers, you know, at, at that young age, I thought put them together, it should be pretty straightforward to create a, a better future. Um, <laughs> Said every young adult only to discover it's the opposite. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> it's been a little bit harder to get to a fairer world than, than I thought back then. Mm, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. If I look back at my 16-year-old self writing songs, thinking, you know, this is it and I'm going to be able to help solve world hunger, and uh, yeah, that was um, it was a little tougher to to work on those issues as as you grow up. But I think the complexity is is where the learning always is. You know, when you realise that nothing's actually black and white, if you're prepared to accept that, mm-hmm. then um, then things can can change um, because you can play a game of uniting over common ground rather than fighting over what's right and wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. Something I'm passionate about, mm-hmm. and I'm interested to know. Um, whether the impact of money uh, came into your consciousness also when you were really quite young in terms of 
uh, how, you know, the old saying money makes the world go round and how we can therefore use that as a force for good or, or potentially uh, taking the world in not so good a direction? Yeah, um, sort of yes and no. I mean, in a sense, ethical investing relatively late in my career um, is, is the answer. And sort of interesting because I, you know, I've worked, you know, for the first half of my career in, in finance and investment in the, the law and banking sector. And yeah, if, if ethical investment wasn't on my radar, sort of in that working in that field, it's um, it's pretty easy to understand why you know it hasn't been on the radar of a lot of other people who are, are outside those areas. Um, mm. But but I have, I guess, from the outset, always always felt um, that you know well-regulated markets, informed consumers, can be a really positive force in the world. Um, uh, you know, also recognizing that that markets are often very poorly regulated and um, and you know, consumers can be misled, and businesses can encourage overconsumption and misconsumption. So, um, you know, it has been wonderful. You know, about ten years ago, um, yeah, to find a part of the investment world like Australian Ethical Investment, um, which says, yeah, we're only going to invest in markets and businesses where they actually are having the positive impact, where they're fulfilling that promise, and, and we're going to stay away from those which are causing causing unnecessary harm. Mm. Um, how do we, this is a big philosophical question and I'm already going off piste of my questions, which is probably a record this early in the piece, but it just um, came to me then and I think it's important. How do we navigate our world towards a place where GDP theory um, and uh, gross domestic product and economic growth um, stop being such uh number one on the list markers for the health of uh, a people, a country. I mean, New Zealand is doing some brave things. Iceland is doing some brave things. There, there are countries making headway, um, but it feels like we're very slow on the whole to recognise that economic growth isn't the be-all, end-all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tough one. And, I mean, you said I've done, you know, quite a bit of a different study. I mean, economics is an area which is a big gap because I, I really do not understand this preoccupation mm. with economic growth when I speak to people and say, um, yeah, why is, is it necessary for a healthy functioning economy? Why isn't a steady state economy, um, for example, um, uh, sustainable? Um, and and I, I, I guess the best prescription um, or diagnosis I can give is similar to what you find in a lot of other organisations um, and and, and systems, which is, you know, business as usual is just such a powerful uh, force um, uh, that, yeah, if, if the political paradigm, you know, the way, the way we talk about a brighter future is all framed or has always been framed uh, largely in terms of economic growth, then actually moving away from that can be hard um, because people take security in the fact that, um, you know, this is, seems to have worked before and delivered rising living standards and so on. And, yeah, what, what does the alternative look like? Which is why it's so exciting to see um, Scandinavian countries, um, uh, you know, Bhutan and others look at other, other indicators and so on. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd love um, to find, uh, um, yeah, economic thinkers, yeah, talking more about that because mm. I've looked a little and I found it hard. There's, there's lots of economists talking about the failures of mainstream um, economics, you know, we might talk later about, you know, 
silly assumptions about you know a perfectly mobile labour market, for example. Um, but yeah, on this point, I've, I've found it harder to find people um, giving to give guidance on that. Mm. It's it's interesting when you think back to the economist who uh, invented GDP theory issuing a warning to the world at the right. time in the 30s saying, but by the way, do not use this as your uh, blueprint for the measurement of success of a society and what did we all go and do? Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's often the way those big ideas, if you go back to them, you go back to what Adam Smith said about markets and, and mm. so on. Um, they're actually alive to all these these pitfalls, um, and then we've we've gone and ignored ignored them. Yeah. Um, okay. So to lift us out of that not so cheery place of realizing uh, that we're in that predicament, I would like to now talk about um, ethics and the way that maybe someone who's always just gone with the superannuation that the company uh, you know has for them or done the same 401k plan as their father, mother, grandfather, mother did um, and not really questioned anything until this point. And they're now listening to this conversation and thinking about money and the power that we all have as to how we invest our money. What are the first steps to actually starting to understand uh, ethical investment and how it relates to us and then start to sort of construct from our own ethics, getting in touch with our values, I guess, uh, how we build that into our financial planning on a personal level. Yeah, so I think there are a few basic steps. And the, and the first ones are really steps which are common to any work you need to do to make an informed or ethical considered choice around, around anything, whether it be investment or consumption, you know, what career you're going to pursue and, 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 and so on. So it's sort of thinking about, you know what you value in life, what what matters matters to you. Um, you know, and, and think expansively. Think about you know all of people, animals, the environment. Uh, think of different classes of those things. You know where my family ranks with um, you know my local community, with my country, with um, people across the world. What I think about the relationship between um, you know the interests of current generations and future generations. So. Working that through can, can, can take some time and, and um, generally, you know, things will move as we move through life and understand more and different things happen. But, but having done that and, and, and started to get a, you know, a clearer picture of what's important, um, in, in the investment space, yeah, it's important to think about how uh, your money can help to drive change which are going to promote the things which you've worked out, hey, these are things that, that are important to me. So, um, yeah, ethical investment is not... Uh, is not just one thing. It's, I guess, a category of thing. It's, you know, people call it values-aligned investment and so on. So um, you need to, 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 to find the values. Then you need to go through the hard work of, of really finding out, you know, what your, your current super fund is doing around those sorts of things, which, what, um, uh, you know, what other funds that are out there might line up with, with what you'd change you'd, you'd want to achieve. And I guess as, as part of that, I, I guess, yeah, think about, the different ways in which money and and indeed ethical funds in particular can have an impact. So, uh, you know, there's a broad range of tools in the in the tool bag. If you like, I'm an investor. There's you know what they give capital to and what they withhold it from. You know where they divest, where they invest, um, and that has an impact on 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 the world by yeah shifting capital to good things, keeping it away from bad things. 
Uh, there's the, the, the investor voice with companies and businesses. How can they be a positive influence to encourage more responsible business practices, minimising negative impacts on people, animals and the environment? And the third element, uh, yeah, which is important, really important for investors and I, I think important in its own right, but because it's sort of under-attended to and it's, it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about, is what public voice can responsible investors have and play a constructive role in the important debates that we're facing um, as a society at the moment, you know, whether that's around climate change, um, uh, equality, um, diversity, discrimination, any number, any number of things. You know, we've got lots of actors from politicians to business interests to civil society organisations. Let's bring investors, boring, often pursued investors to the table who are sort of investing across the economy, have clients who are you know, across society, have a really long-term view. The perspective that we can bring is a really important one to be part of the, the, the constructive debate, policy debate. Mm. So, so interesting. And I think at the moment, topical for the Australians listening is talk of uh, making it harder for everyday people to boycott certain companies mm. um, and divest from fossil fuels, for example. Where does that sit on the ethics debate? Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, is that even legal to... to uh, it sounds quite dictatorial to me. Well, it does. I mean, it does, and it's trying to sort of analyse it at different levels. What what was going on there with yeah the announcements from our prime minister and then the attorney general about they were going to clamp down on on activists, um, uh, including shareholder activists, which which we will consider ourselves one of one of those um, going in and doing this outrageous thing of putting up shareholder resolutions asking companies to report on their carbon footprint to report on how they were developing a strategy consistent with the objectives of the Paris Climate Agreement and going and having the temerity to go to AGMs and ask, ask um, questions of directors about that. Um, so, so that seems to us pretty core to what any sort of responsible investor, responsible consumer, responsible consumer of banking services or whatever service, yeah, for them to be entitled to ask that. So, um, so yeah, you scratch your head. Um, I mean, uh, it, it does seem like uh, an attempt to shut down debate around something which is a debate which yeah, our current government and, and not just them, governments around the world and, and unfortunately not just that party either, um, you know, a lot of politicians are shying away from the tough decisions that need to be made around responding to, to climate change and, and, and honouring their obligations which they've signed up to under the Paris Agreement. So. Uh, if, if you don't have an answer about how you're doing that, um, you're not cutting through on that, then, then maybe, yeah, you try and shut down debate. Um, uh, so, so um, yeah, it's really concerning. Um, I, I wonder, I'm probably wildly optimistic and, and think it won't go anywhere. Um, I mean, they're, they're talking about this secondary boycott legislation, which does exist, I mean, um, in, in certain areas and, and, and is designed um, to stop so-called innocent bystanders being sort of dragged into debates and sort of used as pawns in a in a in some sort of separate dispute. I don't think that's what's happening uh, here. Uh, you know, when 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 we go and ask banks and insurers um, to cease supporting the fossil fuel industry, 
Um, they're not innocent bystanders in making decisions about where they lend their money and where they provide insurance. So, um, uh, so yeah, it, it, it seems a strange uh, basis on which to attack, you know, what we would see as a really important part of a functioning democracy, an important part of functioning um, markets. You know, business leaders have responded and said, hey, you know, it's up to us to, um, yeah, to, to convince our consumers that we're doing, we're acting responsibly, uh, you know, in the interests of our customers and the broader of society. So that, that's what this is about. Mm, absolutely. And it, it just feels like just as whichever party is in power at the time in whatever country gets to use their influence to steer things in a certain way, do we not all have the human right to do the same in our own lives from our own pockets? It just seems like almost like a human rights issue to decide where my hard-earned money gets to go and mine is going to be a different decision maybe from the person down the road. But Yeah, isn't that, yeah, isn't that funny? Um, mm. It's such a double standard in terms of governments, you know, picking winners in terms of, you know, oh, listen, we'll build, we'll provide a subsidy to an Adani Carmichael coal mine, a royalty holiday. Um, so it's okay for us to do that. But for me as a consumer to decide, um, I'm going to buy green power. I'm going to um, bank with a bank that doesn't support Adani Carmichael. Suddenly, that's that's fringe activism and the worst kind of economic vandalism. I mean, it seems in talking to a professor of philosophy <laughs> that, that would that would present a serious conundrum to the freedom of ideas. I, yeah, indeed. I mean, listen, I mean, what's what's one of the biggest, you know, step up above the massive systemic changes of changes of uh, challenges of climate and inequality, you know, the challenge of adequately organised government and challenges facing democracy and the rise of so-called populism, um, you know, at the core of any sort of answer to that has got to be, um, has got to be free speech, constructive, open, transparent debate. Um, mm. So, yeah, this is, this is not... This is not helping us head in that direction. No. Constructive, open, transparent. Good words. <laughs> um, so the power of ethical investment is obviously huge, uh, whether or not that is under fire at the moment. Let's leave that to the side now. Um, what have you seen firsthand, some of the, the real uh, and exciting potential from what has already been done in the area of ethical investment? Yeah, uh, so I think that there's a few probably different things. So, I mean, one thing which is it's, it's always done, but I think it's doing more effectively, and it's it's also dragging along mainstream investors to do more effectively. And that's probably independently, that's probably a, a thing that's really interesting that's happening, is that uh, the growth, the rise of ethical investing is shifting the dial on how mainstream investing is undertaken. So it's not just okay, we've now, instead of, you know, three or 4% of the market, we're now 5%, 10%, depending how you count it, it's, it's bigger. Um, and and that 10% that, that of money is having an impact. It's actually changing the way the 90% is managed or a big chunk of that 90%. Wow. Um, and when you say we've gone from three to four to nine to 10, how, mm -hmm. how long a time frame has that taken us? So in, in recent times, it's sort of been doubling every few years. Mm -hmm. The percent, so probably going back, you know, five or six years, it was it was one percent. Um, it, it, it's challenging to, to the numbers out because there, there's, yeah, it's probably worthwhile discussing at some stage. Yeah, there's, they talk about shades of green, shades of ethical investing. So there's sort of a more sort of 
There's responsible investing, which takes into account environmental and social impacts when investment analysts are uh, deciding how they value a particular company. And that's really important. It's really important that, you know, the fact that um, uh, a company is emitting lots of greenhouse gases um, uh, and uh, is exposed to the risk of a price on carbon or consumer backlash or government regulation, it's really important that the, the numbers people uh, take that into account in their valuation. But separately from that, there's what, as well as doing that, what, what, what we're doing is we're saying, no, 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 there's a first step for us. Um, whether we're going to invest in, in, in a company at the first, in, the first, in the first place, we've got to be satisfied that it's part of a better future, that it's aligned with our ethical charter. So, um, so quite different categories. So the, the smaller numbers um, are generally relate to sort of that, that, um, that deeper, ethical investing approach, people will say 50-60% of the world's, Australia's um, uh, funds under management uh, are responsibly invested. Um, but yeah, there's different degrees of responsible investment. Mm. And do you want to take us through uh, that in a bit more detail, those shades that you talk about? Um, yeah, so, so I guess uh, there's a few different dimensions of it. We've talked about the different tools that investors have. So mm, some- That'd be great. Yeah, so a passive uh, investor, uh, which invests basically just in the share market, every company on the, on the market might say, okay, we're, we're achieving positive change through our engagement with private engagement with companies. Um, uh, uh, and uh, that's, that's great. Um, uh, but yeah, like all aspects of what we do and all aspects of investing, including ethical investing, we need to, uh, reality check, yeah, is is what we say we're doing actually making a, a difference? If not, we're wasting our time. Um, so you go from that just sort of purely private engagement to a, a, pub, a more public stance where we're engaging, but hey, we're going to talk publicly about this. So, um, uh, you know, if, if we're not influencing the change that we want to see, um, we're going to let people know about that. So there becomes a, a, a public... Um, uh, yeah, public relations issue for if, 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 if investors think, an ethical investor thinks, hey, you're not aligning your business with, um, uh, you know, the Paris Agreement, then calling that out in the public is, is going to be potentially quite powerful as a, as a further way to influence that, that company in the development of its, of its business strategy. Then, um, yeah, there's the screening bit, which, as I said, some, some investors do some don't, but within that screening, it's well. How much do you screen out? What do you screen out? So you'll you'll find there'll be ethical ETFs which do broadly invest on the market, but then might have exclusions for tobacco or cluster munitions, and and that will be it. So when you're investing in them, they're really important things to exclude. But yeah, you're investing basically in a portfolio which is you know 99% the same as um, uh, as the market. Then you'll get some which will exclude yeah some gambling, some pornography. They might exclude some fossil fuels. They might ex exclude thermal coal. So that percentage that they exclude will increase. And then you you come, I guess, to the deeper the deeper green, the more um, uh, uh, I guess ambitious screeners like us. Where yeah, we're we're screening out sort of well over half most market indices. Uh, so our portfolios end up looking very differently from a to a mainstream investment portfolio. Mm, interesting. And do you recommend uh, people? I mean, do, is there such a thing as a an ethical financial planner, someone that can help you navigate all the different uh, options? Yeah, there's, mm. there's, um, it's um, 
it, it again has, has had a small base, but has been growing strongly. Um, uh, and, and yeah, we've had a, as, as, as a, a company, Australian Ethical has had a long-standing relationship with some great ethical advisors, um, uh, yeah, who take um, their clients through not only sort of, yeah, the, the financial equation of delivering financial security, but also, yeah, what they think is important, what sort of world they want to retire into, um, uh, you know, when their super is available for them to, to extract. And again, there's what's really interesting that's going on there is there's increasing numbers of mainstream advisors who, uh, who are asking some of those questions as well. And what's great to see is that it's, it's actually consumers who are, who are asking the advisors those questions. So it's in consumer-led led change to, um, to the way advisors are providing their services. Um, mm. And I've noticed even when new financial products come out, uh, like your, um, there's the Raise app with the rounding up of the money and there's a couple of other things. Uh, there are loads in the US uh, where they might not be, let's say, a, you know, taking a stand as a whole company on ethics. They, they often provide a green option. Yeah. Which is at least moving into the right direction. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, um, yeah, providing that choice, the, the, the growth. Um, actually, you know, as we're, as we're talking, recording this today, um, the Responsible Investment Association has, has just released its annual super funds, Australian super funds benchmark report. We've got some really interesting stats there about oh. uh, the growth in sustainable options being offered by, by funds. So, oh, wow. And what kind of growth are we talking? Is it yeah. really notable over the, like uh, since the last report? It is. I mean, I think sort of the number of options, but there's been growth in the number of mainstream funds offering those options. Uh, and then the growth of options that they offer. And um, I'm, I'm looking for the numbers around me and because I, I printed out something. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, listen, it was, it was doubling, I think, over a 12-month over period. So, yeah, once again, it's, it's, it's that, that factor of the growth in, in the weighted money going to funds like us. So all we do is, is ethical. We, we ethically screen sort of all the Australian ethical super options and the Australian ethical funds. Um, uh, uh, but, but and we've been one of the fastest growing funds, you know, along with other mm. other funds like us um, over the past few years. So um, yeah, the industry is paying attention to that and saying, okay, there's there's consumer expectation and demand here, and it's yeah, um, it's it's it is make, taking steps to meet that. Ooh, perhaps that's why the people at the top are a little bit scared and want to rein it in because it's growing so fast. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and and the 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 climate considerations, not investing in coal, you know, is the centre of of a lot of that growth. People's frustration with political action. So mm. the the two are deeply connected. Mm. And something we often get told by many of the major governments in power that are conservative-minded, old old school. Um, let's keep doing it this way or the way we used to. Um, is that we need to keep doing that for jobs and for growth. And it just gets played like a little broken record player. And, of course, if you're scared and let's say if your family currently depends on a good-paying coal mining job, then, of course, it would be terrifying. The thought, like, how would what life look? What would we do? But in your view as a, um, an investment expert, uh, at, um, for want of a better term, the coalface of ethical investment, um, it, 
I mean, I have an ethical fund and um, on purpose on the show, I don't tell people who I'm a customer of, but it's performing better than my old fund. So that kind of blows the whole um, it's not good for growth of money uh, thing out of the water. And then if you actually look at the renewable sectors, the potential for jobs and good paying technician jobs is actually infinitely greater. So how do we make old school people less scared and to start actually jumping and figuring it out on the way down. You know what I mean? I just feel like we are on the brink and the evidence is there. What are we waiting for? What's holding us back? Yeah, so so I agree. Um, and listen, I, I think people have different tolerances or appetites for change. Um, so, yeah, we can't say, hey, isn't this exciting and great opportunities and assume that everyone else will feel this, the, same, the same way. So we need to... Um, recognise the real fear that's out there and, and, and legitimate concerns of communities who are in towns where the coal generation is getting shut down and where are the jobs going to be? And, yeah, we don't buy the, the economic sort of mobility, you know, labour mobility argument that, um, hey, they'll just need to move somewhere else. Um, investors, businesses, government need to be investing in infrastructure to create job opportunities. And, and you're right, those opportunities um, are absolutely there in the transition to a zero emissions, zero, zero carbon world. Um, uh, yeah, the whole idea, um, uh, the resistance, um, yeah, the, the, the fact that we're going to have to do that and that, and that you know, we are going to have to retrain people and, and that, there's, that we're going to have to spend money to that, we, we might have to provide subsidies and so on. Um, yeah, it just can't be a reason not to make the change. I mean, it, I think about, you know, Kodak when it... I was thinking of Kodak right then. I was literally right. thinking, well, those Kodak people, obviously, you know, people are finding a way. When, yeah. when the rug gets pulled out from under you, we, we're humans. We yeah. figure out to build anew. And if we've got assistance... In society, with That's transition right. did, teams. Yeah, did the government did the government say, "Oh, let's tax digital cameras," you know, to save save <laughs> those? You know, that's. I mean, um, yeah, people said, "Okay, as a as a as a planet, um, you know, we need to embrace this digital camera technology. It's fantastic." Yeah. Um, okay, let's make sure that yeah, um, people who might be adversely impacted in the transition. Um, mm. And yeah, you're right that you know there are exciting opportunities there. We need to do a better job of explaining that. We need a better job, yeah, in advocating for climate action, emphasising those economic opportunities, the benefits of low-cost carbon-free power, which go well beyond the climate benefits in terms of you know reduced um, particulate pollution. Very relevant in in, in Sydney. Very uh, relevant Greeks, today. Um, the reduced health costs as a re as a result of, of that. Yeah, just imagine free energy. What that you know, with a zero marginal cost of production from solar. I mean, what that what that means for things that are achievable. So, uh, we need to do more work on that. And and yeah, the the example of ethical funds, responsible funds performance. Yeah, there was you know I think that persistent myth you know propagated by some that oh well surely you'd be giving something financially up um, uh, by investing ethically. Um, you know, I I do think that that's that that's that's gone. Um, I mean, that that report, the responsible investment report, looked at um, the performance of the sustainable, responsibly managed um, funds and options in that that um, universe of the 57 
largest uh, super funds um, and found they outperformed over one, three and five years, the mainstream funds. Um, globally, Morgan Stanley did something earlier this year. They looked at 11,000 um, funds, looked at Morningstar, the financial organisation, their database of, of um, financial performance of, of these diverse 11,000 funds from 2004 to 2018 found um, no, no downside, no, no reduction for for the um, um, for the funds uh, which were managed responsibly and, and sustainably, and indeed found that they behaved much in a, in a much much less volatile fashion. So, from a risk return point of view, um, we're looking better. And and what's interesting, that analysis is sort of all relative analysis, saying, hey, you can actually do better on the ethical side. You're not giving anything up. But beyond that, there's a, there's a there's the systemic benefits of we're going to raise all boats. So I don't think anyone seriously thinks that a four-degree warming world is going to be a better way place to invest money than a one-and-a-half-degree world. <laughs> be less disrupted. Um, you know, it's it's going to be economically, socially, such a more productive, stable world. Um, so that's that's not about relative performance. That's just about everyone is going to be better off if we if we if we take this action, and we're all going to be a lot lot worse off um, if we don't. Mm, that is for me. That is the big aha of this conversation so far. You can't tell me that in a four degree warmed world, all of our investments will be more bountiful, and therefore we'll all be happier mm. because it's it's just so not the case. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So where do you see the major shifts in the next 10 years then? What, what are you expecting to see happen? Yeah. Um, so I'm... This is your crystal ball moment, Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> a philosophical, you know, evidence-based type. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come out with the, 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 the big, bold predictions. Um, so some things that have happened recently, which might be signposts, we're going to see greater personal accountability of our senior business and political leaders. So Ooh. maybe political leaders are still to come. Um, so that's a bit of a prediction. We've seen it happen in the business space. Oh, we're definitely holding businesses far more to account. Three, Absolutely. Three, four, big bank CEOs, yeah, are no longer there um, since um, since the Royal Commission um, mm. started a couple of years ago and, and a number of bank shares have gone or are going as well. Um, uh, so I think that's a change. And when you start holding senior leaders accountable, that, that drives change throughout the organisation um, because you no longer just say, hey, it's not my problem. That was someone down the line who made that mistake. So, so I think that's big. I think um, uh, pricing in, you know, negative externalities. So I'm not sure, again, an economics issue which, um, uh, which gets debated a little bit, but I mean, I think most most economists say where there are negative externalities like carbon emissions, like pollution, you need to either regulate them or price them. And ideally, yeah, you price them um, if if because that where that can encourage market innovation and it can be done efficiently. Then why would you do that? So you know, I think we will get a carbon price, and it, it will be a global carbon price. Um, hopefully, not hopelessly optimistic, but but I think. Um, you know, amongst business leaders of all types, um, amongst economists, um, there's just acceptance that that is the way to achieve global emissions reductions. You put a price on carbon and, and, and therefore, yeah, where, where you can most efficiently around the world reduce carbon emissions, that's where it will happen. And um, so, so 
uh, I mean, that, that can extend then um, to other sorts of externalities like, yeah, wastage of water and so on. So, so I think we will do a bit with that. Um, I mean, underlying all that, I think, and I, I think we're seeing this, why will those things happen? Why do I think they'll happen? I think that um, consumers and society will increasingly hold governments and business to account. I think, you know, the experiment with, you know, populist um, leaders uh, is, um, is, can be a short one. It's sort of like born of frustration. So let's, let's throw everything um, in the air and let's do crazy things like elect um, the US president that we have. But I think, um, yeah, that experiment will be proven to be the mistake that it was and that will, um, um, yeah, just bring into focus again the need for us as citizens, voters and consumers to actually think carefully about the choices we make, how we vote, how we buy, you know, consume, you know, how we invest our money um, to, to promote the things that we think are important. Mm, so valuable. Um, I'd love to finish by asking you to think about the fact that there will be 40-odd thousand people in 120 different countries listening to this show at some point in the next month on average and issue a little bit of a, a process for us all to go through over the next couple of weeks in our own lives, dedicate maybe a family meeting to having a think about our values as a family and then having a look at where we spend our money, how we invest our money. What would that look like? Can you give us a bit of a framework to, to do it really proactively and then some first steps to start taking so that we, we, uh, we become part of the solution? Yeah. Okay, well... Yeah, let me have a go at that. Um, and yeah, before I joined Australian Ethical, I was at the Ethics Centre. So it's a oh yes, um, yeah, mm. St James Ethics Centre, a a, um, a centre for applied ethics, which is quite an unusual beast, and and it's a fantastic uh, organisation. Which yeah, its bread and butter is helping individuals um, uh, and organisations, communities, not for profits, business, political organisations, public servants. Um, yeah, develop frameworks for thinking about yeah how we make good decisions and and do things which yeah um, are going to promote um, uh, positive outcomes for the things we think are important. Um, and yeah, I have to admit I've, I've tried this, um, tried one of their frameworks and approaches with the family, and and it, it's a really interesting process just to say okay, as a group of as it was in, in our case, yeah, what's important to us? What do we want to achieve individually? What do we want to achieve as a group? You know, what are some of the, the principles and values which we think are important in terms of how we're going to treat each other and how we're going to pursue our individual goals and our, uh, our, our, um, uh, our, our, group, our group goals? Um, and uh, so that's, listen, that's all abstract and it is, it, 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 I sort of think it's necessarily abstract because there isn't, you know, one silver bullet to this stuff and there's not one thing which individuals are gonna think is the most important. So, you know, it's the conversation, the open conversation, um, which is which is a really important part of the, the process. And so pick a few things um, that, that you know, as um, as individuals or as a, as a group, as a family or an organization are important to you and then work through how you're gonna achieve them and, 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 and so on. Um, I mean, I, I think, that, sorry, I'm just really worried. That's a bit general and abstract. So I'm going to I'm going to hit you with three things which are not mine, but which um, which which I think 
are so useful from um, Noah um, Yuval Harari, who's written a lot of fantastic books. Um, um, but I heard him, him talking uh, once and, and his three things were, um, first one, know yourself. So one of his big worries about how we're getting manipulated by, by businesses, by marketers, by social media, um, who, who ultimately will know us effectively better than we know ourselves. So they'll manipulate us without us actually knowing ourselves. So it's really hard to know yourself. I mean, we all know we make, I mean, I, you know, make the wrong choices around food and drink and too much um, at different times. You know, I know it's wrong, but yeah, still I persist in doing it. So how do you break those habits? So um, uh, know yourself, try and understand it and, and try and build good habits. So that's, that's, that's one. Number two is, um, collaborate with people. Don't try and change things on your own. So whether it's your family, within your organisation, with the, in a local community group, um, yeah, band together. And it's hard and it's messy because you're going to have to interact with people with different ideas and different strategies and all that sort of stuff. But it's, it's how you achieve change. So, yep, become part of a group which is going to kind of pursue change. And his third one was, yeah, ask the right questions of people in power. So whether it's an organisation, the person, you know, your boss, the CEO, whether it's your local politician, um, whoever, um, ask them what they're doing about the things that you care about, um, because actually influencing them, um, you know, it is amazing. I mean, people don't like being challenged on inaction. People don't like being called out for being unethical. You know, we're all deeply flawed in our own ways, but it's really interesting. We, you know, it's so uncomfortable. Um, so let's let's use that power productively, um, both in reflecting on our own capacity to do better in our own decisions, but yeah, on in, in whether it's yeah, at an AGM, a company AGM, uh, yeah, or, or, or the boss, yeah, asking them, hey, yeah, what is a business are we doing about this? I think we should be doing something about it. Mm. And do you believe as that this is the key to us depoliticizing things like caring for our planet? Because right now, it is a political pawn, which is crazy to think. I mean, I don't consider myself on the left, for example, just because I care about a clean air future for my children. I just do not see that as a political thing. Uh, and I, I wonder whether if we write to, let's say, if one did vote, um, well, in our country, it's Greens, Labor, nationals, liberals, and if one was a Greens voter and was writing to their Liberal MP because that's who's in power in their particular uh, area, um, and, and over and over again they kept getting these requests from voters of all different parties um, about what are you doing for climate change, what more can you do, why did you vote that particular way when that bill um, came to be in Parliament, um, that they would see that it's actually... A, a, uh, it, it transcends party, this general uh, societal care for particular issues, and that helps us then clean out this idea that caring for our planet is uh, dependent on which party you vote for. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's right. I think politicians more than most, um, but I think we all do to some extent live in bubbles, and you know, you 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 hear um, like-minded people telling you what's uh, important to them. Um, so absolutely getting the message through that, you know, people sometimes challenge, aren't ethics personal and so on? Um, well, you know, our experience is the vast majority of people care about people, animals and the environment. So, um, 
you know, it's, they'll, they'll differ on particular strategies and, and to, to promote their interests and sometimes on how you balance their interests. But ultimately, yeah, we, we care about those things. So I completely agree. Um, bringing it back to that and communicating that concern to people in power is really important. I mean, I think related to it, yeah, is the tribalism thing. Um, that, that is is what we're struggling with at the moment. And I, I, I think it affects, you know, tribes across the spectrum um, that there's sort of a package of ideas that people sign up to and uh, people are sometimes reluctant to pull them apart and sort of throw individual ideas up for, up for scrutiny. So what I mean by that, I mean, um, you know, on the climate um, sort of inaction side, climate denial side, um, you know, it's, it's tied up with, um, you know, pro-markets, any attempt at climate action is some attempt um, to install some form of, of global government or, um, you know, to, to um, you know, ride roughshod over individual liberties and, and, and so on. So um, I think the challenge is, yeah, that, that, that if that becomes associated, if that becomes your tribe and that, you know, that is broadly, you know, a, a big chunk of the population, then getting the population to, to ask the questions that you've suggested, I think sometimes can be a challenge. Because oh, if I ask that question about the environment or whatever, yeah, I do care about them, but but yeah, is that is that the question I'm, I'm meant to be I'm meant to be asking? I mean, this reluctance, this, this this everyone curating, I guess, what they say a little bit too carefully around sort of that, you know, what my tribes sort of um, um, you know suite of beliefs is. Um, I think, yeah, is concerning uh, part of this as well. Yeah, we need to be open to pick apart the different issues and, and discuss each of them on their own merits and, and just assume goodwill and good faith on, on the part of the person we're speaking. And, 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 yeah, accepting that the person across the table actually does care as well about people, animals and the environment. And often what you're, what you're arguing about is, yeah, tactics and strategies to achieve that. And as we talked about at the outset, you know, it's unfortunately, yeah, put a scientist and a philosopher um, and a mathematician in the room, yeah, then they're not going to solve the world's problems because it is a little bit more complicated uh, than what our current state of knowledge of ourselves and, and, and the planet um, is capable of achieving. Mm. So fascinating. So many great ideas there. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and taking time out of a very busy agenda to shed some light on uh, the economics of ethical investment, uh, the hope for growth in that area, our power to get in touch with our own ethics first and then have a look at what we're doing with our money and, uh, and what that can do to help create the world we want. Thank you so much, Stuart. Alex. Thank you. I've loved talking to you. It's been, been great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. Uh, and uh, there's the amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at 
Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Today